Chapter Thirteen of Cats by the Way by Sarah E. Trueblood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Willie or Smutface. One of the kittens of my childhood was a pretty spotted fellow, but with an ugly brown patch on his nose. Quite early in his kittenhood, he was afflicted with those enterprising little backbiters, fleas. We children concluded to clip him. This was done, leaving the fluffy head and the paintbrush tail, and we were quite proud of our baby lion. But one day we missed him. Our darling was gone. I do not remember the length of time that he was missing, but we had about given him up as stolen or killed, when one morning we heard the faintest little meow. Was it an echo, a daydream, or only a trick of the wind? We held our breaths and listened. Yes, it must be, but so far, far away it sounded, and yet so near. We glanced up the tall maple tree that stood beside us, but saw no little white kitty. We examined every niche and corner about the house and about the stable. We even pulled off boards to look in places wholly unlikely. Again we looked far up the maple trunk. The whole family was out by this time, and one keen eye looked farther still. There was Wee Willie, not only very high up, but very far out, his little body waving in the wind far above our heads. Such a helpless speck he was, his balancing tail jerking from right to left, and the plaintive voice barely reaching us. We dared not call him, as he was going towards the drooping end of the limb, and was so perilously near the end that it was bending almost perpendicularly with his light weight. His weak little prayer for life was too much for us, however. Something must be done. So one of us bethought him of the housetop. The housetop was gained, which placed the rescuer behind and now nearly on a level. Then he began to call, and Kitty heard and heeded. Very carefully he turned himself about upon the slender limb and crept tremblingly back to the great trunk. From there he was rescued, a hungry little pussy and a wiser one, for he was never caught in that predicament again. Willie developed one peculiarity, that was exclusiveness. He was a kitchen and a roof cat. Between these two places he was never known to tarry. There was an old-fashioned wooden pump in the kitchen, the top of which was just the size for a comfortable resting place for a curled-up cat. To reach this high point, the cat had first to land upon the stove, and from there leap to the pump. It apparently made no difference to him how hot the stove might be on baking day. T'was just the same. We sometimes looked for blisters on his feet, but his stay upon the hot surface was too short to harm him. He had another bed in the kitchen, a little old-time rocking-chair, well cushioned, but he oftener sought the pump, feeling himself well out of harm's way and also very warm and comfortable. He was afraid of strangers to an unusual degree. An unfamiliar step at the door would always drive him hastily from chair to pump, if not already there upon his watch-tower. In the course of time the pump had to be removed and was replaced by a newer make, much smaller and neater, but not at all satisfactory to the cat. He was as a sheep without a shepherd, a compassless mariner. An old uncle, a member of the family, took pity upon him and made a neat broad shelf. This was put exactly where the top of the pump had been, and Willie was more than content. The house was old and rambling, built at different times, with numerous stairways, out-of-the-way rooms, and passages. Grown partly over the wall and roof was an ivy, which was the happy home of innumerable English sparrows. 
Willie knew this, but the vine was at the opposite end of the house from the kitchen, and he had a great dread of venturing out of his own room. About once a day, however, he became very heroic, and made a dive through the long house, up the two flights of stairs, and out upon the roof. He usually descended in a short time with a sparrow, and that was all until the next day. The dusk of evening was his best time, when the sparrows were going to roost. Occasionally he would miss his footing, and come flouncing down in an undignified manner outside, dragging the vine with him. Except when on these mad hunts he was never known, so far as I can remember, to stay his foot in any room but the kitchen. Even the dining-room adjoining, with the door frequently left open, was as a closed book to him. And this was not by training, but was inborn, we children many times doing our best to coax him into the living-rooms. But there came a sad change for Willie. We left the old house and moved to another part of the town. I took charge of the cat, carrying him closely covered that he might not remember the route, but unfortunately for him and us he was one of the non-movable cats. We kept him in the cellar for about a week and then allowed him his liberty. He accommodated himself to his new surroundings better than we had thought. Every evening he went out, but always returned, until one night, about two weeks after the moving, he stayed out much later than usual. We were uneasy, but at last he came, meowing at the window for admittance. We took the prodigal in, but the next night he did not return. He had found his old home, and there he was destined to stay. I brought him back again, but he knew the road home too well, and returned as soon as he was given his liberty. After that we visited him occasionally, but the old house had new occupants, and they thought the place overburdened with cats. There was a wholesale shooting, and we never saw or heard of Willie again. Alas for our pet! The innocent suffered with the guilty, for Willie was a model cat, the last one to interfere or give trouble in any way. He was about thirteen years old at the time of his death, and had always kept to his happy kittenish ways. A stray piece of coal, or the upturned corner of a rug or carpet, was excuse enough for a fine frolicking somersault, even in his good old age. End of chapter 13 Recording by Jessica Louise